You're listening to Swipe East, Swipe West, where we dive into the dating differences from coast to coast. I'm your host, Ashley Davis. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Swipe East, Swipe West, the dating and culture podcast focusing on differences from coast to coast. I'm your host, Ashley, and you can find us on Instagram at Swipe East, Swipe West or on TikTok at AshDavy underscore A-S-H-D-A-V-I underscore. If you're new here, thank you for checking us out. And if you're an avid listener, appreciate you sticking around. So as any of you who've been following along know, and for anyone who is new here, I start off every episode with a little update on my life and how it is dating out in LA. So I have a few updates. You know, things are starting to open up more with COVID restrictions lifting. The sun is shining now with daylight savings a little bit later in the day. So I have been taking advantage of it. And a couple weeks ago, I went out. A couple of my friends are musicians and I went out to see their shows. So I went into LA to see them and was out in Venice Beach one night and saw a really cute guy. And he was kind of making eyes at me, like looking at me. And I was like, I'm going to go shoot my shot. Like, I feel like this is a sign. I'm just going to go over and say hi and see where it goes. I also had a couple margaritas and that helped. (laughs) So I went over and started talking to him. He like immediately asked for my phone number. And um, a few minutes later, starts texting me. Um, I had walked away because my friend started performing, had to watch her. So he's texting me. He told me he had left to take his friends home. And then he starts asking me when I'm leaving town. And I'm confused because I live in LA and he had lived in, or he lives in LA as well because we were talking about it. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like leaving town? I live here. He's like, I know you live here, but when are you leaving town? And I was like, I don't understand. Like, I'm not leaving town because I I live in in the area. Like, what do you mean? He goes, but like, when are you leaving town? And I was like, I literally like cannot compute what you're saying because I live in Long Beach. So I don't understand what you mean, like leaving town because like I am not a tourist. Like I live here. And he finally clarified that in his mind, he grew up in the in L.A. Let me um, also say that that Los Angeles proper was considered town to him. Like that's the city and Long Beach, which technically is part of L.A. County, was therefore not L.A. And therefore, because I lived in Long Beach and not L.A. proper, I was considered an out of towner and was therefore when I went home to Long Beach later that night, leaving town. (laughs) And I just like was like dumbfounded because This has happened to me before in LA, and this just goes back to everything I've been talking about in this podcast about like distance and how people perceive where you live in LA a little bit differently because like, you know, I'm technically not in LA proper, but Long Beach, for me to get from Long Beach to certain areas of LA is the same amount of time that it takes to get from one part of LA to another part of LA, if not shorter. So like, for example, from Long Beach to downtown LA takes around 30 minutes from Long Beach to like West Hollywood, maybe 40 minutes to an hour from West Hollywood to Venice, you know, that could take 30 minutes, sometimes longer with traffic. So it's all relative. I think just people think like, oh, Long Beach, it's a little like farther south from the city. Therefore, it's like out of town. But for me to get to Venice Beach is 30 minutes on a good day, maybe 45 to an hour with traffic. So I'm just like, again, like dumbfounded by this this man. And, you know, we we text a little bit more and the conversation ends to go to bed. The next morning he texts me 
And he goes, yeah, so like, let me know your timeline the next time you're in town and we can meet up. I just lost it at this point, like hysterically laughing because this was the most Los Angeles text I've ever received. Like, let me know when you're in my area and it's convenient for me to meet up with you. Like, let's not like make a plan. Let me not come to you. Let's not go out of our way because you live a little bit out of the way. But again, not really. Let me know when you happen to be around and like, maybe I'll see you. (laughs) I was just like, this is, this is so classic. And I just like, didn't, I didn't even follow up because I just like, didn't even know what to say. Like, I don't know. I don't know my timeline of when I'm coming into town. Like, I don't know my plans on a week to week basis. And even if I did, like, I'm going to be out with my friends. I don't necessarily want to meet up with a stranger that I just met. And like, he lived not even in the Venice Beach area. He lived in a different part of LA. So what you're going to like meet up with my friends and then, and me potentially. And then what, like what, what's going to happen here? Like, is this a hang? Like what, you know, it was just, (laughs) it was just so classic. Honestly, it was, it was hilarious. So that happened. And then the following weekend, so this past weekend, I was out in Long Beach at a new bar a Port City Tavern. If you guys haven't been, if you're in the Long Beach or LA area, even it's, it was really fun. Definitely felt a little bit older. Um, my friend and I actually went out to Seal Beach earlier in the night. It was a little bit sleepy. could have been because it was after St. Patrick's Day, but we got some good cocktails, then went back to Long Beach and out here. And lots of cute guys there. I did the same thing. I saw a guy. He was cute. My friend was talking to someone else. So I just like went up to him, started talking to him, asked for his number. And then he hit me up the next day and we were texting and uh, ended up hanging out. So yeah, I just think honestly that things are changing now post pandemic, because again, if you have been following my podcast and listening to some of my earlier episodes, when I first moved to Los Angeles pre pandemic, I had a really hard time meeting people, men or women in a friendship capacity or relationship capacity. Like anytime I tried to approach someone, they just didn't have it. Like they did not want to talk to me. And this sometimes does still happen. I will say, depending on where I am, like they'll walk away from me. They do not want to entertain a conversation with me because I can't offer them something or they don't know me, but you know, it's, it's very like pretentious, I guess. However, my theory now is that people have been like cooped up for two years or, you know, they've been stuck in this digital realm, forced to use dating apps, forced to only communicate online or zoom outside of their, you know, direct friendship circle that maybe they're comfortable with. And now people are eager. They're eager to be out in public and to talk to people and communicate. So I just shared two experiences, but like even even with women, like at this Venice Beach bar, I was talking to a, a girl that had just moved here with her boyfriend. We hit it off and like she got my number. Um, we had some things in common and like my hangout with her and like even went out downtown LA last weekend, another night for a girl's birthday and bathroom line, like all these girls like chatting me up, like just saying hi. And that just like was not, that just wasn't happening for me before. Um, so I don't know if maybe I've just been here a while going to the right places now, but I do think part of it is a shift in mindset post pandemic. So I'm really happy about it because I'm a very social person. I love to go out. I love to talk to people and just mingle with, with people out in that type of environment. That's just my personality. So yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see what continues to happen. I'm going to San Diego this weekend. Uh, so there's some people I might encounter at this event I'm going to, it's called the mustache bash. 70s themed event. Uh, my friends and I are super excited for that. So we will see. But diving into this week's episode, I am very excited because we have a special guest. 
He's a relationship coach, Roy Biancolana. He also has a book called Relationship Bootcamp, just out amongst other books he's written and a podcast called the Attracting Lasting Love Podcast. So I really enjoyed talking with Roy because um, he's a relationship coach, which is different than a dating coach, which we will talk about and you will hear the difference. Um, but he, we talk a lot about uh, the differences between masculinity and femininity and how that interplays with relationships and attracting um, a lover as well as different personas and relationships and things that you can do to try to change to attract the type of person you want. Um, Because similar to what I discussed with Chris um, in his episode about inner work and healing, if you want to attract a different type of person, you need to look inward and adjust yourself to see why you're attracting that type of person and adjust your persona to find the right match for you. So that's a lot of what we talk about. And just also, again, masculinity and femininity. There's some truths that we say that, you know, might come off a certain way at first, but the, I think the more that you listen and engage, you'll see that you'll see that there is an interplay there about men looking at women from like a femininity pers- perspective, women desiring men with a certain level of masculinity, even outside of a heterosexual couple, how masculinity and femininity still inter- interplays in any form of relationship, how there needs to be those two opposites there for a romantic relationship. And when you have both of the same, like two masculines, two feminines, that's where you end up in the friend zone. So I don't want to give too much away, um, but just wanted to level set that there because I know as I was going through this conversation with Roy, I was like, hmm, some of this is resonating or like, yeah, he's right. Like that is what I look for in a man. And hmm, maybe that's why I'm in the friend zone with uh, some of these people that I, that I have a crush on. So I hope you enjoy and just take in everything. My Instagram DMs are always open for any feedback or questions or any conversation, but otherwise let's dive in and I hope you enjoy. Roy, I'm so excited to have you on with me. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be here and have this conversation. I love that you're a dating coach for singles. That's correct. Yes. Yes. I would define myself as a relationship coach and maybe I'll describe the difference at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we start with that? Oh yeah. Okay. So in my mind, it's a significant difference and it really points to what I think is the biggest mistake we make when people are looking to attract a healthy, sustainable relationship. So in my mind, a dating coach is someone who talks about dating strategy, dating tips, techniques, you know, things you do, you know, where to go to meet people, how to approach them or how to get them to approach you and what to say and how to flirt and, you know, all of the kind of the strategy that you would do uh, once you're sort of face to face with someone or maybe even interacting online. But to me, a dating coach is when you're standing in front of someone or you're meeting someone through an online thing or whatever, it's to talk about the strategy about what to do and kind of how to respond and so forth. I don't do that at all or very little. So I describe myself as a relationship coach. So what I do is I'm helping a person sort of work on themselves so that when they do bump into a person or meet them online, they are prepared on the inside of them. They, they are what I call they're in relationship shape so that they're ready for something real, okay? So the analogy that I would use, I think is really a a good one, I think, is 
imagine someone wants to run a triathlon. They want to compete in a triathlon and they want to do really well. Now, there are actually triathlon coaches. I met one one time. I'm certainly not one, but just imagine in this situation that, you know, you want to do well in a triathlon and I, I won the Ironman back in the day and now I coach other people on how to be successful, okay? So we sit down and we're talking about how to be successful in the Ironman and your questions are focused on the day of the race. Like how do, how do you survive in the water when it gets crazy and you don't drown? And how do you transition from the water to the bike and the bike to the marathon? And you know, you're out there all day. So how much do you eat? When do you eat? What do you eat? How much water? And then you might want to know what parts of the course should I try to make up time and what parts of the course should I kind of conserve my energy? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, those are appropriate questions. Those are, those are good questions. But that's not what you should be asking me about. You should be asking me, how do I get in shape for this thing? Right. <laughs> right? How do I get fit enough to swim two and a half miles and bike 112 and run a full marathon back to back to back, which is what a you know, triathlon is. You can have the best strategy on race day that you want, but if you're 50 pounds overweight, you're not going to make it 100 yards in the water. Okay? So it's much better to be talking about how do I get in shape? If I'm in shape, oh yeah, okay, then the strategy part is important, but it doesn't mean anything if you come to the starting line out of shape. So in our love lives, I consider the starting line that moment, however it happens, when you're standing face to face with a new person. It could happen through the normal course of life. Like I met my, my wife, we were sitting next to each other at a conference. I, she was the prettiest girl in the room. I just sat down next to her, okay? It can be through online. It can be at a bar. It can be at a yoga retreat. It can be at a networking event. It could be in the office. Who knows? You're, you're going to meet someone face-to-face. And the, the issue is not, if you want to go the distance, it's not about your strategy of what you say and where to go and how to make that happen. It's really about, are you getting to that starting line and are you in shape for something real? Right. Are you prepared on the inside of you? Are you in shape, right? So that's the distinction in my mind anyway. It might not be fair. Maybe dating coaches do the deeper work that I do. I doubt, I've really never met one that calls himself a dating coach that has the conversations that I do. That's not right or wrong. It's just that their emphasis is on the dating experience and mine is on preparing yourself for something real. So does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I feel like even in like my own conversations with friends and some like those matchmaking reality shows you see, like the very much the focus is like, what do I reply back? Like what hook do I get for them to talk to me? And then it's kind of like, okay, right. now we're talking. And then a lot of times it fizzles out or you don't really know what you want next. And and I think to your point, it's because you have to know internally like what you want and be ready for that next step. But the conversation never really focuses on that. It's very top level, I guess I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. And I would say it's not only knowing what you want before you meet someone, it's really getting at and dealing with the issues that have been sabotaging your love life up until now. It's really about identifying the blocks and the barriers and the self-sabotaging behaviors that might be happening in you unconsciously. You don't even know that your childhood conditioning is impacting the way you show up. You don't even know your personality blind spots because they're blind spots. 
Right. You don't know what I call your relationship personas. We all develop these kind of false ways of being in the world that we think we need to be this way to get people to like us or to be successful. We're not aware that we're not being our authentic selves. Um, we're often not aware of, uh, of our limiting beliefs and so forth. So for me, what I have learned and from my own experience here is that you need to be looking for what you don't know that you're doing. So for instance, there's a, a poet, I think he lived like 700 years ago. His name is Rumi. He was a, an old mystic poet, but he wrote as if he sort of understood this dynamic in modern day. So his most famous quote, I think, and my favorite anyway, he said, your task is not to seek for love, but seek instead for the barriers within yourself that you've built against it. So he's saying, your task is not to look for a partner. It's to look for the barriers that you have built against it. In other words, you're sabotaging behaviors, your beliefs, your your ways that you're blocking it, right? Because the nature of reality is love. The, the, the nature of, of life is the flow of love. It's, if you're not experiencing it, it's because on some level you're blocking it or you don't want it or you're afraid of it or you have maybe certain stories about what it would mean to be close, to be intimate, right? So that's where I find is the valuable work is becoming more self-aware. What am I doing to sabotage my love life that I, I'm not even aware of what it is? And there's ways of finding that stuff out. You know, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I do as coach. And that's part of my own journey as well. Yeah, so that was what I was going to ask her. Like, what, what are some examples of those sabotaging behaviors? And how, how do you help people figure out what to look for and identify that within themselves? Yeah, so let's take something very common, which is, most single people can point to what they believe is a, a pattern in their love life. There's some sort of repeating pattern to where they seem to attract the same type of person over and over again, or it takes the same path, the same dynamic. Like, why don't I always seem to go at about the two or three month mark, it falls apart, or I never get the second date. Or I keep attracting emotionally unavailable people or people whose lives are sort of falling apart. You know, whatever it might be, most people can identify some sort of pattern, right? And it's so common that I actually, I think I've coined this phrase. I should probably copyright it, but I call it the relationship Groundhog Day syndrome. Remember that old movie Groundhog oh, Day, yes. right? Where Bill Murray relives the same day over and over and over again until he looks at himself and makes some changes within himself. Then he, he wakes up the next morning and it's a whole new day, right? We're the same way. We, we can get in this Groundhog Day syndrome where we keep the same partners and the same problems and the same patterns and the same pain over and over again. And so that's one of the dynamics. And the question is, what am I doing? Is, do I have a role in, in attracting the same people? Do I have a role in setting up the same dynamics, you know, or is it just happening to me? Am I just unlucky to have the same kinds of partners? No, you're not, right? So it's this recognition that I'm doing something, something's happening within, within me that keeps attracting the emotionally unavailable, 
or that makes these relationships die out after a couple of months or, or, or the chemistry, but no compatibility or lots of compatibility, but God, I can't imagine being naked with that person. Right. I mean, yeah. so there is something that's happening there. And what I've discovered is something that I call a relationship persona. It's like we have a certain way of relating in the world that's based upon sort of some childhood experiences. And that energy attracts a certain kind of person to it. So just imagine two pieces of a puzzle. Okay, if you made a puzzle when you were a kid, right? Every piece would not fit with just any piece. It had to find its match, right? You had to find the puzzle piece that would perfectly fit the other puzzle piece, right? So in a sense, your what I call a relationship persona is your psychological emotional shape. It's yeah, you're shaped in a certain way. And it only goes with another shape that matches it. And so I experienced this myself. Okay. So here was my thing. I kept attracting relationships where I started functioning as a rescuer, like Superman. And I kept attracting women who were sort of damsels in distress. Now, they had very high-powered careers. They made a lot of money. They were very successful. But they were overwhelmed with managing. They were single mothers, managing their household, managing their career. And they were just overwhelmed with it. They couldn't handle it all. And I come in there, and I immediately, it's Roy to the rescue. Right. Right. It's like, I'm going to. Well, I'll raise your children for you. I'll I'll clean your house. I'll wash your car. I'll do your laundry. I'll do the kids' laundry. I'll I'll do the shopping. I mean, I'll do all of that to free you up from that, so that you can use all your time to sort of take care of me. Okay. Yeah. So, I without going into too much detail, there's a codependence there, right? Is that she's this damsel in distress, and I'm this rescuer. But at the time, I just kept complaining to people. Why do I? Why do I keep getting involved with these women who, you know, they're doing so well in life, but they need me to sort of, I don't know, be Mr. Mom. I don't really want to be Mr. Mom, I, but I feel like they need me too. And, and then I feel like I need to show up that way in order to get a woman to like me. Right. Okay? So we stop there and we go back to me and my mother. Okay. <laughs> Without going into too much yeah. therapy here. Yeah. Right. It's like, I started when I worked with a coach and I was telling her, this is my dynamic. Like, why do, why do I keep attracting damsels in distress? And I'm Roy the rescuer. And I have to be the world's greatest boyfriend to get a woman to want to be with me and so forth. And I discovered that my mother, you know, every little boy wants to be close to his mother. And I, I, I discovered through, once I started looking at it, it was obvious that she was a person who was pretty distant emotionally. She took care of our physical needs, but she wasn't very warm. She wasn't very affectionate. She was kind of a demanding and sort of business-like, kind of harsh. And the only way that I ever felt warmth and connection with, with my mother was when I simply was a good little boy. If, if I just did what she wanted, if I didn't have my own wants, my own needs, my own priorities, if, if my life was about doing what she wanted, then I felt a smile, then I felt a connection. But if, if I was selfish, if I had my own wants, my own needs, my own agenda, I didn't feel close to her. Mm -hmm. So I learned at an early age, the way you get close to women, because 
I mean, your mother is your first girlfriend. Right. I don't mean that in a neurotic way, but my first experience with a feminine person. And we learn a lot about opposite sex. And even in gay relationships, you learn so much from your opposite sex parent. Okay. So I was learning, well, I, you know, this wasn't conscious, but five, six, seven years old. Well, the way you get close to, to mommy is about making your life be about taking care of hers. I even at times heard my father tell me when I wanted to do something or, and I knew I would kind of push back against mom. My dad would say, Roy, don't do it. Son, it's not worth it, man. Just do it her way. Just make her happy. Just go along with her. Okay. So even my dad was helping create this idea that the way you get affection and attention from a woman is about making your life be about taking care of hers. Okay. So now I'm 45. Okay. (laughs) And that's in my consciousness. That's the way I saw men and women. That's the way I saw myself. My, the way I get all the attention and affection of a beautiful woman is by making my life be about taking care of hers. So when I'm seeing myself like that and seeing the dynamic that way, of course I'm going to attract damsels in distress because they are the only ones that fit with someone who feels that they need to rescue someone in order to get them to love them. Do you, do you see the... Yeah. The similar shapes. Yeah. I'm a rescuer shaped this way. You're a damsel. Oh, it's like cookies and milk. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we go together. So most people make the mistake of saying, well, I don't want the emotionally unavailable. I don't want the damsel or I don't want the wounded soldier. Right? One of these dynamics, you find women very often are saying, I keep attracting men who are sort of broken down or they're wounded. And I, I, got, I got to patch them up. I got to be their mother or I got to be their nurse. I got to be their mechanic. You know, I got to fix them. <laughs> I got to fix them like an old car. I got to fix them up a little bit because <laughs> they're, they're good looking or they got this, that, and, but they're all broken down or they're wounded or, right? And they get in these dynamics. And so when I was saying to my coach, why do I keep attracting this? She was able to point out to me, it's not about finding a different kind of woman. If I'm still shaped that way, that's the only woman that I'll ever find interesting or that will ever find me interesting. So if you want to get out of the Groundhog Day loop of attracting wounded soldiers or damsels in distress, or, I mean, there's so many of these. It's about working on your shape. It's about me working on my self-esteem, my insecurities, and my value to say, a woman could really want to be with me if my whole life isn't about being devoted to fixing hers. like. I can have my own wants and my own needs and my own career and my own thoughts and, and show up as like an equal and, and have my own emotional needs. And she has hers. And right, if I get healthier and get out of my childhood wounding, if that changes the shape of me, well, then I'm a different piece. I'm a different puzzle piece. And now I don't fit with the damsel anymore. We don't go together. Now I fit with a healthier piece you could say, a healthier shape, right? So whatever pattern the listener right now might notice that they have in their life, the mistake is to say, I want to find someone who's not like my ex or not like these boyfriends. And uh, I don't want to have that same pattern of we break up after three months or it's all chemistry. And no, that's the wrong thing because you'll, you'll never find someone that way as long as you're still shaped in the same way. The answer is, what do I got to do to make the changes inside of me so that I'm shaped differently? 
because then automatically, this is where the law of attraction is true. The law of attraction means like attracts like, meaning if I'm a rescuer, I'll attract a damsel because we're both in the same kind of state of consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. A, a, lot of, a lot of men describe themselves as firemen. I mean, they want to be firemen because women love firemen. <laughs> but sometimes in this dynamic, they're like, this, my girl, she, she's always got some emergency. All the women I meet seem to be in distress and they're in emergencies and and I have to run over and put out the fire. You know, I got to do this or do that. It's like, this is such a weird dynamic that all these women just, they're all falling apart. Why don't we keep attracting women who are, the house is always on fire. No, they're not all that way. Just the ones you meet because you're walking around as a fireman. Yeah. (laughs) You have this, I'll come to the rescue thing going on. And so then you attract women whose houses are burning down. You follow me? So it's all about changing the focus from I want to find a healthier person to I need to be a healthier person. I need to make changes. And I, and I had to do that. I, I actually remember talking to my coach. This is one of those moments in my life that I'll never forget. When I really saw that I couldn't blame all the other women that I had attracted anymore because they were simply a reflection of my rescuing thing with my mother that was just playing itself out. It's like, I don't even know who I would be if I wasn't the world's greatest boyfriend. Right. I don't even know what it would be like to not love in a rescuing way, thinking that's the only way I could get a woman to want me is if I functioned like that. But in other words, I had no idea of the authentic self. Because along the way in my childhood, that got buried. Because when I was my authentic self, mommy didn't love that. She didn't give lots of affection and warmth. It's when I became the little, you know, good boy Roy, that's when I felt love. And so I said, well, I'm going to become that guy. Because that guy gets some, some flow of love and some connection. This authentic Roy, he gets ignored or pursed lips or, you know, there's not a closeness there. So I disowned myself and, and took on this persona. And I did it for so many years that I didn't even know I was doing it. I thought it was me. I just thought I was, the, I was a really nice guy. Yeah. Right? But all my Mr. Mom stuff was not being done from love. See, there's no problem if from the authentic, authenticity of your heart, you desire to express love by raising someone's children and doing their laundry and cleaning the house and making dinners. And that's wonderful. If you're doing it because you truly want to, and it's the way you express love. I was doing it because I was afraid that if I didn't do that stuff, she would never want me. And so I was doing that out of fear, not out of joy or out of love, as I was afraid that if I was not the world's greatest boyfriend, that I would never get the attention and affection of a beautiful woman. And so then everything started making sense to me. Like I would go on dates and I would meet women who had great careers, but they had their shit together. Oh, they had complicated lives. They had some, they were single mothers, but they were working it. They were on top of it. Did they want a partner? Could they use love and support? Yes, but they weren't drowning. They weren't overwhelmed. I could never get a second date with them. I sort of didn't want a second date with them. There was no chemistry, yeah, right? Because we weren't of the same shape. But I'd bump into some girl that was a damsel and the chemistry was unbelievable, right? And so that's why I talk a lot about there's two different kinds of chemistry. There's persona chemistry, 
where if you're a fireman, you're going to be attracted to drama queen, <laughs> right? If you're a rescuer, you're going to be attracted to damsels. If you're a fixer, if you're a kind of a nurturer in sort of the unhealthy way, you're going to attract the wounded, the broken down. Yep. Right? You walk around with a wrench and all you're going to find is something to fix. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? So it started making sense. I met some great women, but I'm like, yeah, no, I just don't feel it. And, and she didn't feel it. And then I'd meet another woman and it's like, we had this, they're both, they could almost be twins. They could be the same looking person. One I would find myself drawn to, the other one we would have no connection whatsoever and I didn't understand, but it was because our shapes didn't match. Right? So that's one of the biggest things I do with my clients. Help them, what is your pattern? And then we work backwards from there. Who must you be being in order to attract that dynamic? You keep attracting the emotionally unavailable, dishonesty, cheaters, clingers. I mean, you, you name it, whatever you seem to be a genius at attracting, like I could walk into a bar and I could find the one person in here who will gaslight me or something, right? Or go, you know, I, I can attract a narcissist from any place on the planet. I mean, I, I you know, I'll find them. <laughs> well, well, if you're attracting narcissists, which is this overly self-absorbed, self-centered, it's all about me person, that person that shape only fits with the very unselfish, the, the, the very selfless. And I don't mean that in a good way. There's good selfishness or, or unselfishness. And then there's, there's not good unselfishness. Like I'm less than. So if you take up less space in the room, he can take up all the space. Mm, that makes sense. Right. So there's lots of finger pointing about narcissists. And there are psychologically, there is a narcissistic personality disorder right? But why do you attract it and not her, right? And I'm saying, well, why do I attract those kind of people? Because not everybody attracts those kind. Well, because you're most likely showing up in this selfless, I don't matter. I don't, I'm not important. I'm not worthy. And that works perfect with someone who wants to make it all be about them. It's hundred percent me. Well, I work with you because you're a zero percenter. If you're a 50 percenter, oh, we're going to fight like cats and dogs. Right, like two narcissists can't be in a relationship together. They'll beat the hell out of each other. No, it's about me. No, it's about me. No, it's about me. Right? right. right? So it's only the big person has to has to attract someone who's willing to make it be all about them. And then eventually that gets messed up. Like my relationship with the damsels got messed up because I didn't want to be doing her kids' laundry. That, that I was doing that to get laid. I was doing that, you know. <laughs> well, because the other part of my story was that. You know, I never really felt wanted and desirable to my mother. So I had this wound of not feeling seen, not being wanted, not being desired. So I'm going to become anybody I need to become to get a woman to want me, especially physically, so that I meet this woman who's a damsel, but she was as sexual as they come. So it was like, for a while, it was perfect. I'll take care of your life. And she was totally into taking care of my life. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, after a time, you know, both of us got tired of codependently taking care of each other's needs. And then it blew up, which is how most codependencies go. Um, so that, those are some really deep subjects. But these are the kind of things that I think are more important to look at 
then where should I go on Saturday night and how do I flirt with him? Right. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's important, but it's not nearly as important. If you've got a habit of attracting narcissists, well, I could give you the best places in the world to go to meet guys, but you're going to find the narcissist no matter where you go, mm -hmm. because you're shaped in a way that fits him. So why don't we change your shape first? Let's work on you. Let's get out of that, whatever, that, that unselfish thing. Maybe you need to learn about boundaries, about maybe you need to learn about more your self-esteem, more about your own truth, more about how much you matter and your worthiness. Maybe you've got a story from your childhood about being unworthy or unimportant. If we deal with that stuff, you run into a narcissist and he'll be like, oh, I don't want to be with her because she won't let me dominate. She won't put up with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> it won't even get to a second date. There's, there's no way. And all of a sudden, you meet a man who's into mutual co-creativity and mutual support, and you matter, and I matter, and how can we both grow together, right? It's like magic. But when you're in your persona, you can't attract that because you're only attracted to your narcissist, you know, to use as a you know, pretty graphic example. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Because um, even like I'm like thinking about myself, I feel like I'm like a mix of like I attract like a, someone that's a narcissist, but also that needs to be fixed like most of the time. Yeah. So I definitely identify with like a lot of what you're saying. Well, yeah, he's really self-centered and, and he's got all these problems that we all have to focus on my problems. Yep. And you better help me fix them. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you fix them up and then, and then he, here's what happens in those relationships. When you fix up a guy or if we fix up a girl, because it, it can happen both ways. When you fix someone up in a way you are a constant reminder of how broken they were. It reminds them when they were not in a good place, that they were falling apart. And so I want to get away from you because you just remind me of a time when I, I'm sort of embarrassed about. So that's the, the quintessential, I put you through medical school and then you, you become a doctor and you dump me. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like I fix you up and then you don't want to stay with me because it reminds me of all that. And so... I just prepared another guy for a great relationship or something, you know what I mean? Even though it won't be, but yeah, yeah, th those are the, the dynamics to, to work on. Yeah. So if you're experiencing that kind of thing, if you hired me, what point would it be about, can you help me write a better profile, Roy? <laughs> well, I, okay. Sometimes I do that with my clients, but you can write the best profile in the world, but let's deal with whatever's going on in you. That's attracting these narcissists that you got to fix. Yeah. Because you don't want to do that again. Right. Because that doesn't fulfill you. That doesn't last. So forget the profile. Let's go in here first. Then we can do the profile eventually. Because eventually those things, those questions are you know, important. Right. And then a, a question I have. So I know um, you were talking a lot about like men build some of these personas internally from like relationships with mothers. So for women, is it like for like for myself, would it be myself and like my dad's type of relationship that I'm getting this from versus like my mom? Yep. You know, your relationship with with your parents, if you're if you have both of them, they're both significant. But I find when it comes to relationship issues, the opposite sex parent, that dynamic is hugely reflected in our later lives when we're relating with opposite sex people, because we learn so many dynamics there. So here's a typical thing that can happen. It's not uncommon for men 
it's it's changing, I hope, a little bit, but it's not uncommon for men to be uncomfortable with emotional women. Women who have, have access to anger, sadness, fear, like the, the whole rainbow, the whole spectrum of emotional flow. It's not uncommon for the father to be like, I just can't handle all that stuff. You know, it's like they don't want to deal with, with their wives. Go talk to your girlfriends. Maybe you should go see a therapist. I, I, I'm watching football. Now, I'm being very sexist here. Yeah. <laughs> very, yep. very generalized. Yeah. But stick with me. I'm making a point. <laughs> Men sometimes, they can't, they're not very good emotionally. Okay. Now, a little girl wants to be close to her daddy. So she's going to figure out pretty quick which emotions does he respond positively and which emotions sort of either make him ignore me or maybe even get me punished or get me in trouble in some ways. Well, I want to be close to daddy. And so when I'm angry, when I'm fierce, I get my butt smacked. I'm going to bury my anger. Or when I'm tearful or crying and I, you know, I need comfort, you know, my father kind of looks at me like, and I, and I feel distant from my dad when I'm like that. Well, I'm, I'm going to bury my feelings. So now you're 40 or you're 45 and you're cut off from your emotional flow. And, or you feel like, the only way to get the attention and affection of a great guy is if I bury my flow, if, if I bury my feelings, if I, I don't want to be high maintenance, right? I don't want to be, you know, a complicated woman. I don't want to, you know what I mean? So, so you're not being your authentic self. You've buried that and you've put on a persona of this, this girl who's just, very in control of herself and just a good girl, you know, some way, right? Do you get what I'm saying there? Yeah. So you, you, now you're trying to relate and your, your natural feminine flow, because the feminine is so much more from the body, from the sensualness, the emotion. There's, that's beautiful in the feminine, but you buried that. And so you might come off in the dating scene and you might say, why do I keep getting put in the friend zone with guys? They just want to be friends with me. I'm saying, well, you buried your feminine self. So the only self you're showing is the self that your dad liked when you acted more like a boy, when you were more in control of your emotions, when you were more stoic, or when you, you, know, when you maybe even were more athletic, because these things can go to a lot of different ways. So you can bury your feminine side because your daddy couldn't handle that. And then, but you don't know you're doing it. You're three, four, five years old when this stuff is happening. This is very formative. And you're not consciously saying, oh, my dad can't handle emotional women. So I guess I got to protect him and hide all of this stuff going on, you know, inside of me. <laughs> you're not making that choice. You just know I get in trouble when I'm like that. He likes me more when I'm like this. So I'm going to be this way. And then you, you just grow up that way, but you're blocking your authenticity. And then you wonder why I'm attracting some of these dynamics. Why do I, you know, I'm attracting men who are passive or men who don't seem to be really on their game and clear and focused. It's like, I'm the one who's clear and focused and, and right. You start to understand these dynamics. And that just means I do this with a lot of my, my women clients is they have to kind of rediscover their feminine selves. 
because even our culture does not celebrate femininity. Really, it's, it's really a, the, the message to women nowadays, and in one sense, this is good. Get out there. You don't need a man. Kick ass. Take names. Make your own living. You, you, you are socio-economically, financially able to do your own thing. That's awesome. That's wonderful. That's true. And you can project this, I'm a better man than you are. And I don't need a man. And so you're, you've strengthened your masculine side so much, but the feminine has been disowned. And so when you meet a guy, he will respect your ability to kick ass and take names, that you're an entrepreneur, that, that you're a business person, that you're, you're managing your life with impeccability and you've got some structure and some discipline and your kids. And like, I, I respect it, but that's not the part that I want to have sex with. I want to have sex with the feminine side, that emotional, beautiful, crazy, flowing, feeling part. And you're like, I don't even have that part. Well, yeah, you do. It's just been buried. Yeah. You're, you're both. You have a masculine side and a feminine side. I have a, a feminine side and a masculine. We all have both. We are sometimes more at home in one or the other. But I'm finding more and more in today's culture that women have strengthened the, like, Consider your masculine the bicep and the feminine the tricep. There's a lot of women these days that have a strong bicep. Their their masculine side strong. They're they're taking care of their lives and they're raising their children and they're building businesses, but they've lost touch with their feminine side. So they're sort of out of balance, and it affects their love lives. Because this is also true of men. Men have been being taught for a couple of decades now to be more feminine, to be more sensitive, to be more caring and be more emotional. And in one sense, that's good from where we've come from. You know, the 1950s male, the, the Archie Bunker, the, the Donald Trump type, right? The, the strong, I'm in charge, I'm dominant, do it my way or the highway kind of, okay, no, no, that, that's not real masculinity. But there's been this swing to, to tell men to kind of be more feminine. And then women meet them and be like, yeah, you're sweet and soft, but I, I, I can't trust you. It's like, you're not my rock. Like most women want to feel about their partner like you're my rock. Yeah. Like I can depend on you. Like the shit hits the fan. You know who you are, what you stand for. Like I can rely on you. But so many men, we've, our own masculine sides have been made fun of or diminished or at least misunderstood enough that we're ashamed of that part of ourselves, that strong, present, conscious part of ourselves. We, we're trying to develop more of our feminine sides. And then women meet us and like, yeah, you could be my, you're like my girlfriend, right? And that, that puts men in the friend zone. Like men say, why am I always in the friend zone? Well, yeah, because you're acting like her girlfriend. She has plenty of girlfriends. She's looking for a rock. She's looking for your presence. She's looking for your, your erectness your strength. She can't have sex with something soft. <laughs> I mean, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you're looking for your strength, your power, not abusive power, but power controlled by love. She's looking for your spine, right? And so those men have lost touch with their masculine. And so we, get, we both get put in the friend zones. We make lots of friends, but nobody wants to claim our heart. Nobody wants to take us and, and be with us. We just simply respect each other and we hang out and we're friends. And, and that 
usually is the reason why I meet people and we talk, we have great conversations and nobody asks for my number. Or we connect, we have great conversations and I ask for her number and she tells me, oh, she's busy for the next nine months or something. <laughs> you yeah. know, It's like, we were connecting, I thought, and then nothing. Well, yeah, maybe you were connecting, even though you're different genders and maybe different sexual, I mean, your sexual orientations are matched, but it's like you're two girls or you're two guys, right? So a lot of my work with my clients is, what is your real essence, even though you have both energies, and how do you display that? How do you recapture your feminine and bring it alongside of your ability to kick ass and take names? Don't diminish that. Let's just resurrect this other part of you. And then you, you, won't be, you won't be put in the friend zone. And for guys, it's like, yeah, we don't, being sensitive, being caring, being nurturing, being sort of emotionally available, that's wonderful. Don't, no, don't lose that part of you. But you, you got to have a spine. You have to have a purpose in your life. You have to have, like, I know who I am and where I'm going and what I'm about. That's when a woman feels like, ooh, if you know where you're going, because I know where I want to go. When you know who you are and where you're going, then I can determine, do I want to go with you? Do we want to go? We're going the same place, right? So I hope that's not confusing. There, and I, if it comes off sexist, I don't mean it that way. It's just, we're talking about the realities of what actually happens. We could be here and try to be politically correct in the way we talk and not solve any real problems. And this friend zone thing is a real problem. Yeah. I'm around men all the time and nobody ever really wants to claim my heart. What is that about? I have so much going for me. I make more money than him. I have a more successful life than he does. Great. A good man will love that. I dated women all the time that made more money than me. I wasn't intimidated by that because they, their feminine was there. You know, it's like, well, yeah, I respect that. It's awesome. I don't have to take care of you. It's great. We're both self-sufficient people, but you're a girl. And you're emotional and you're, you're, you're like all about the flow of love. You're about feeling, you're about harmony and heart, right? And, and I'm about presence and purpose and clarity. It's like, oh, those two, they get drawn together, right? So yeah, that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, no, I think that all makes sense though. Cause even like, I feel like myself and my friends sometimes like we'll meet guys and we're like, oh, he's too nice. Like, you know, we want someone nice, but he's too nice. And that kind of goes back to what yeah. you were saying with like the fem right. feminine overpowering the masculine. So I think I do think it's a very real thing, whether or not people pick up on right. it blatantly or not. Yeah. Those are the words that are used. He's too nice. And I have never really met a woman that in her heart wants to make a life with a person who's mean. Right. Right. So you're not saying I want a guy who's a who's an asshole and who's mean. What you're saying is he's a pushover. Yeah. He's, he doesn't have a sense of himself. He's like, if I bump into him, he'll just give way. I want a guy that if I hit, I can, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. He's strong. He, he's going to be kind. He's going to be generous. He's going to be a good person. But you know that you can't distract him from what's really important in his life. In other words, I tell this to men all the time. I don't think they believe me. But to a good woman, a good woman doesn't want a man that she can wrap around her finger. She really wants a man that she feels like, okay, I'm the most important person in his life, but I'm not the most important thing. Right. He's called to something that's beyond me and beyond us. There's something that gets him out of bed in the morning. There's a purpose to his life. He, he knows why he's alive. He's not just alive to get laid. 
He's just not alive to get another girlfriend. In other <laughs> words, you are not the entire purpose of his existence. You are someone he wants to share his life with and his love and his presence with, but he, he sort of knows who he is. He doesn't really need you, right? The nice guy sort of needs you. Yeah. And you feel like you're going to depend on me. I don't want you to depend on me. I don't want to be the rock. I want you to be the rock. And I'll be the water that crashes on it. And let's see if you can handle it. <laughs> right. 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 So, um, yeah, that's something that men have to figure out about the nice guy. And But the same, I don't know if men have a, as good of a phrase for the girl, maybe the, the phrase, the reciprocal phrase might be the ball buster, the woman whose balls are bigger than the man. The you know, she, she exudes, she's so self-sufficient that a, a man feels like, oh, she doesn't need me. She's a, she's a better man than I am. You know what I mean? Like, this is really hard to describe. But there's, we men, we like to, we have a gift to give in a relationship. We have something we want to offer. We, we feel like, I want to help. I want to serve. I want to love. And we do that usually by giving something of who we are. When we meet a woman who wants to receive it, that's really powerful. She might say, well, I can sort of give that to myself if I want to. I don't really, really want to. But I'd love to, I'd love to receive your love in that way, your, your presence. Your, you know what I mean? And so when I have something to give and someone says, I would love to have it, but when we meet someone, I say, I have this to give. And you're like, no, I got, all, I got that. Yeah. I'm good. Oh, okay. Well, then why would I be with you? I, I can't give my essence to you because you're good. You got it. Great. Good for you. But that girl over there, she wants it. I'm going to go give it to her. Yeah. Because I, I, we want to give and receive our gifts, right? My, my wife has, so, has something to offer me. And if I'm like, no, I got it. I, I can give that to myself better than you can give it to me. She's going to be like, oh, why don't, why am I with you? I, I don't, why do you want to be with me? What, what, right? So even though we're both whole and complete spiritually, we have something to offer in intimacy. Mm. I tell my female clients all the time, like, what is your gift? What is your feminine gift in intimacy? What is it that you have that he can't get from his dog, his therapist? his friends, or his family. What do you have to offer him that he needs, that he doesn't have, that nobody else can give him? And same thing with a guy. Like, what is it that you can only get from her, right? You know, you get what I'm saying there? So yeah. what is your feminine gift? And what is your masculine gift? And if you know what that is, and in a word, for men, it's their presence. That's what feminine people crave. To be, they they crave to be seen, to be to be held, to be paid attention to, to be like I always tell my guy clients: if a woman ever says to you, "Man, I just you just get me," it's over. You got her because she wants to be getting, she wants to be understood, she wants to be really truly seen. So your presence, your ability to pay attention and get her, is your gift. That's what she's. That's what she can't get from anybody else is a masculine presence that sees into her heart and almost knows better what she wants than she does. It's like, he's so paying attention. He's so, he's penetrated her body so much that his consciousness knows her and she feels seen and claimed, right? Yeah. Oh my God, a woman, she's done. I'm, I'm take me wherever you want to take me because you see me. The reciprocal is a woman's radiance. Men say she lights up my life. The Beatles saying, 
something in the way she moves attracts me like no other lover. Like, what is the something? Well, I just call it radiance. It's the expression of love coming through your feminine body. And that, that, that is something a dog can't give me, my friends can't give me, a therapist can't give it to me. That the only, only you've got radiance that lights up my life, that inspires me, that challenges me, that makes me feel like I'm a better man, like that old movie, as good as it gets, right? Yep. So when I feel your radiance, I'm goner. Yeah, I, I'm going to be devoted. I'm going to, I'm going to worship you. I mean, I'm, I mean, you're, you're lighting up my life. You're inspiring me. The purpose that I have in my life, I feel like with you in my life, I am much more likely to do that. So the difference is here, I think the masculine's looking for a teammate, right? This woman who's, whose love and joy and ex expression and emotion and sexuality and vulnerability, all of it inspires him to be more of who he is. And, and that does go both ways in some ways, but you're my teammate. Whereas I think the feminine looking for a soulmate, it's like, I want you to know me. I want you in my heart. Of course, we're going to support each other's careers and dreams and that kind of stuff. But I think the masculine is looking for a teammate because he's purpose driven. And the feminine is looking for a soulmate because she's connection driven, right? So when men learn to be present, they get girlfriends. They're out of the friend zone in a second. <laughs> yeah. When women learn to be radiant, to, to brighten the shine, they get scooped up. They're not single for very long because you are giving the other person what they can't get from anywhere else. And there, there just is some work for a man to learn to be present. There is some work for a woman to brighten her shine. And we're talking about energetics. We're not talking yeah. about physical beauty. Right. Here. This is... I think some of the most beautiful women in the world, they're not that radiant per se. Like in my mind, sometimes I look at like runway models and I think they're in a lifestyle and they have to eat certain ways that I don't know if I see a whole lot of light in their eyes, mm -hmm. but like a woman like Queen Latifah, that, that woman just seems to be, to shine to me. Yeah. Right. She's not classically what we all would call beauty in today's world. But there's, there's, a, there's a radiance about her. And then there are some men who might not be George Clooney. They might not be Rob Lowe in their looks, but they have a presence about them. And when you're talking to them, it's like, I'm the only person in the world right now. They used to say that about Bill Clinton for all of his issues. I've heard when people have been around him, when you're talking to him, it's like you're the only person in the world. They just feel totally dialed into, right? So he had a way of bringing presence and that's just really attractive. So presence and radiance, that's what makes us irresistible. Right. And then I feel like that probably would also carry over into same sex couples, just, you know, finding like a masculine and feminine in your partner, regardless oh, yeah. of gender too. Yes. And in relationship, you can flip around. There's times when you, you want to play, I might want to play the feminine role and, and, and really just kind of surrender to my wife in some way, even sexually it can be fun sometimes where she's the ravisher and I'm the ravishee. That's kind of fun sometimes. Yeah. Then other times, you know, the masculine wants to take, right? Pin you down. I love you. And just, I'm going to make love to you. And the feminine is, oh, just take me because I know you're coming from love, right? But those roles can be played with. But attraction is when there's the oppositeness. Right. 
The friend zone is when you're both in the masculine or you're both in the feminine. Right. Then you you want to be friends, but you don't want to kind of say, you don't want to fuck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. When I'm with my buddies, I love my friends. I respect them. I don't want to have sex with them. When I'm around a feminine creature, oh, that's a different story. Even though I'm committed to my wife, oh, I can feel, oh no, I can feel she's a woman, right? It, the, the, it's so obvious. You can have a, a group of eight women in a room and then one guy walks in, it changes the entire dynamic. Just he's here, right? It's a yeah. guy. Or there could be eight men at a bar and, and a woman walks in. And now all of a sudden, everything's messed because it's just, ooh, that energy happened, right? That's, that's, that's the polarity. That's the oppositeness. So most of us have to, to learn how to strengthen both. We don't want women to give up their masculine sides and become dependent, needy women who can't take care of themselves. And no, we don't want that. But we also don't want to get rid of that feminine side, you know, because that's the side that creates lots of spark and chemistry. And we don't want men to give up some of the, and, I mean, it's not uncommon now. If you watch sports on TV, you see big, giant athletes cry. That's beautiful. No, nobody wants to make men, you know, he's a football player and he's crying. They lost the, the game to get into, I think there was a player just recently that they lost to get into the Super Bowl. And he was weeping like a baby on the sideline. I'm like, nobody's making fun of him. Notice that. Nobody's on Twitter saying, oh, what a puss. Right? No, it's like, that's good. It's like, he's in touch with his sadness. He, he's able to express sadness. We don't want guys to give that up and be macho idiots. Right? But we also, we don't want them to let go of that strong part of themselves, that, that rockness part, that purpose part, because that's the part that make people not want to put them in the friend zone. Right. Yeah. So this, these are complicated things, but they're not that hard to work with. Yeah. And that all makes sense. And then um, another question I have. So when you're starting to date someone and you're like picking out some of these attributes in them, like, do you think like once you start healing your inner self, you know, maybe you meet someone and within minutes, you're like, that's a narcissist. Or is it no, you have to go on a couple dates first to try to identify some of those like types of personas? I, I think the more you work on yourself, the less the less you're trying to figure out if a person's got some issues, you're just open and you're not, because I think when you're trying to figure out or spot something in someone, you're coming from a fearful place. Right. And what personal growth is, if it means anything, is you're, you're letting go of your fears. And so you're then you're just showing up and you're being available, you're being playful, you're being your normal self, and they're going to show themselves. If there's something there. It just it, it's it, you're going to see it in an attitude or an action, and you'll just feel your energy sort of drop. Just like I was, you know, had a client I was talking with today. She's around fifty, and she said, "I've never felt the kind of chemistry that we have. Never in my entire life. This is just off the charts." But as she's gotten to know him, she's seeing some things about the way he lives. Uh, he's a pretty high-powered business person, pretty successful, but yet he. He was in kind of a victim mentality and, and wasn't, it was like really whining about his schedule and blaming things. And he was never able to make a date with her more than 24 hours in advance. Because, oh, because I, I, people keep putting themselves in my schedule. He works for himself. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. Nobody else writes in my schedule but me. Right. So he, he was just in a, in a victim mindset. 
and she she was turned off by that. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. she they had the chemistry, but the more she saw, now she just she just felt the energy kind of draining, right? So I think when you work on yourself, you're just going to be available to what life has next. You're just going to be in the flow, and you get up out of bed every morning and say, "I wonder what's going to happen today." Right? Maybe you bump into somebody new. And you don't have to be like, is he a narcissist? Because a lot of that is when your past is still alive in you. We can talk about that. Like if you've been in narcissistic relationships, if that's still alive in you, yeah, then you're going to be looking at a man through that narcissistic lens. But now you're, you're coming at the relationship with a suspicion in a, in a way and, and, and kind of a guardedness. You know, what are you about? All right. And people can feel the guardedness. They can feel a little bit of a wall around you or a sense that I'm protecting myself. And when they can feel it, it can, it can be a turnoff. So I think when you work on yourself, you're, you're not only letting go of the past and letting go of your relationship personas and that kind of stuff, but you're just able to be with the moment as it is. And your body is just going to tell you, this isn't right. This doesn't, this isn't it. This, I can't even describe it. I just know somewhere in here that this isn't right. Or I would never have dreamed to be really attracted to someone. like I, I would never have thought this up, but there's a big yes in me about this person. I would never have thought I would be interested in a, a guy or a girl like this, but right. So there's a kind of a wisdom that comes from the gut in a say, or from deeper down when you have done some of the work and especially if you've let go of the past. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, and what you're saying about like kind of those gut feelings makes sense too. Cause sometimes you'll meet someone you're like, yeah, I went out with them, but it just didn't, we just didn't quite mesh. And I don't really know why. Um, or I, you meet someone immediately and you're like, wow, like this person's amazing. And I want to get to know them more. Mm -hmm. But I think your point too is great about not looking for problems because a lot of times I feel like when you look for problems, you're kind of like, you start making problems also. Right. So I think every, everything you said yes. makes sense. Let's talk about that for a second, if you will, because my newest book is called Relationship Boot Camp. Okay. So it's got like a fitness metaphor to it. It's about getting in relationship shape. Okay. Relationship Boot Camp, hardcore training for life, love, and the pursuit of intimacy. And in the book, I identify seven relationship muscles. Okay. So I, I play with the metaphor a little bit. I've just found there's seven areas of our life that need to be strong rather than flabby if we're going to be prepared to go the distance in a relationship, right? There's seven areas we need to work on to, to strengthen. And maybe the juiciest and the ugliest and the part that we want to look at the least is our relationship to our past. The things that we have been through, things that have happened to us, they create trust issues. They are baggage, right? And I often joke that the only people in the world don't have any baggage are the little babies in the maternity ward, okay? Everybody else has got bumps and bruises. We've been hurt. Some have been really hurt, right? So there's a spectrum of trauma and abandonment and addiction and abuse. And then there's kind of the normal things like being dumped and betrayed or lied to or gaslighted, ghosted. We've all been, we've all been bruised, okay? So there's nothing wrong with having baggage. If you meet someone that says, oh, I have no baggage, <laughs> just run the other way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because their baggage is that they're completely unaware of anything going on inside of them. <laughs> so we all have baggage. That's not the problem. The problem is 
is the stuff that has happened to us, is it something that just happened or is it happening, right? Is it still here? Yeah. Is it, so I often joke because if we don't make jokes about this stuff, we could just start weeping. Most relationships are like a menage a trois from hell. It's like, it's me and you and my past. And the three of us are in this relationship. Yeah. <laughs> okay? No, right? you're right. So I'm, right. We bring this stuff with us. And yeah, if you've been cheated on a couple times, unless you've done some real work to let that go, you're going to have this, are you going to cheat on me too? You're going to protect yourself some. You're, you're going to show up differently than if you had never been cheated on. You're going to be more suspicious. Maybe you'll take you'll make the relationship go a lot slower than you might than it might naturally just want to go, right? So there's not we we have these walls. They do keep us safe, but they keep us single, mm. right? Nobody can get in to hurt you, but nobody can get in to love you either. Okay. So one of the biggest issues we have to deal with is what's happened to us on our past, and is it coloring? our ability to connect? Is it coming between me and a new person? Have you ever sensed that you were being held accountable for what their ex did to them? Like I can meet a woman and I can get the sense that I'm sort of paying for your ex's sins here. Yeah. Or for all the other men, including your father, that have done things to you, I, I'm being pushed away or judged or somehow being held responsible. Hey, I'm me. I'm not them. But when your past is alive in you, this new person is not a new person. It's the same as the other person, or at least I'm afraid of it. And so I'm going to have trust issues. Yeah. And if there's a, the biggest turnoff, well, the biggest turnoff in the dating world is neediness. Yeah. Like I, I have to find a relationship to, to be alive. I mean, the, you know, but the other one is a sense of my past is so alive that it's standing between me and you. And I'm asking you to sort of break down my walls or something. It's this trust issue, right? It's really easy to go into a relationship and you start from the place. This is how most people do it because their past is alive in them. You start from, I don't trust you. You're going to have to earn my trust, okay? Yep. Now, on one level, that makes sense. You're going to you're gonna have to earn my trust. You're going to have to prove that you know, your character, you're, you're worthy of my trust. I'll let my walls down when you show that you're on the up and up, that your intentions are this or that, and you're honest. And, but that means you're starting with the wall. You're, you're communicating to me that I don't trust you, which I know is not about me. It's about your past that you're projecting onto me. Now, I don't know too many good people that bring a sledgehammer to a date, you know, that, yeah. oh yeah, I, I'm really excited about trying to break through your walls and prove to you that I'm a good guy. Fuck that. I am a good guy. I mean, if you don't see it, you don't see it. Or if you've got issues, you know, but I'm going to go to that girl over there whose arms are wide open. She's like, come play. Let's dance. Yeah. She's starting from the place of, I trust you until you show me I shouldn't. Then I'm going to kick you in the balls and send you down the road. Right. But I'm starting from, let's dance. Let's play. Like, I, I'm open to you. I'm available to you. Like, I, I, I'm trusting. I, I mean, I'm not trusting you. I'm trusting something bigger. Like, I'm okay, right? Now, if you show me you're an idiot, then we're done. But that's a much more attractive energy than the person who's starting from, you got to prove yourself to me. Yeah. But that's how, when our past is alive, that's what happens. Even if we don't say it that way, <laughs> you don't get on a first date and say, you know, I've been hurt a bunch of times. So I'm telling you right now, 
you got some work to do. Yeah. You got like you got three months to prove to me that you're a good guy. And then maybe, you know, I'll open my heart a little bit to you. Right. If a person was that honest, that might be actually interesting. But we don't ever come out and say that. <laughs> right. We, we just, but a person can feel it. Yeah. So I sometimes share in these things that it seems like a former life, but earlier when I was younger, I was a professional golfer. I, I played on the PGA tour with Tiger Woods and all that kind of stuff. Stuff you see on TV was way back in my past. And so I had swing coaches and nutrition coaches, and I had a sports psychologist. All the guys do. And all of sports psychology is just about, can you let go of the last shot and meet the next shot with a clean emotional slate? As if it never happened. Because if that last shot is alive in you for the next one, oh, you're going to screw the next one up. <laughs> because you're not present for this one. Yeah. You're still living in the past with it all. That's all sports psychology is. Can you be present now and let go of all of that? Well, that's, that's your love life. Can you be here now with this person fully available, having let all the other stuff go? Yes, it happened, but it's not happening. It's not alive in me. And now it's between us. It's like, no, it's a clean slate here. Who are you? I'm open to you. I'm available to you. Now, to get there takes some work. Most people don't know how to let go of the past when they've been cheated on three or four times, when they've been lied to or ghosted or betrayed or abused or been in narcissistic relationships or whatever it might be. They don't know how to let all that go and sort of meet this person as if they are the first person that they've ever met in their life. Like they have no history. In golf, it's called helicopter golf. The sports psychology is. The idea is you fly in on a helicopter, they drop you down, you hit one shot, you go home. There is no past, there is no future. You have this shot. Can you live that way? Right. Can you stand in front of this man or this woman? There is no past, there is no future. I'm here, I'm all here, I'm present. You can do that, you can live that way. It just takes some work and I found it takes a coach to kind of, to help you get there. But just like I needed a sports psychologist to help me with that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you live too much in the past, like you said, then you're bringing that with you and just making assumptions about people off the bat. But then if you're living too right. far in the future, you can't enjoy right. what you're doing right now and actually get to know someone. So, right. He hasn't texted me back in like three hours. Well, I know what that means. Well, what do you mean you know what that means? <laughs> well, because my last boyfriend, that, that's what he did right before he broke up with me. So you think this guy's going to break up with you because he didn't text you for three hours. Well, your mind is going to tell you that right. because you haven't let go of that. If you let go of that, all you know is he hasn't texted for three hours. It doesn't mean anything other than he hasn't texted for three hours. Right. And then you might find he's not interested or you might find that he dropped his phone in the toilet. I mean, you have no idea why. Maybe he's been busy. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? exactly. <laughs> Maybe, right? But our minds play that stuff. And of course, how does the mind make up stories if not from what happened in the past? Yep. If nobody ever cheated on you and you're at dinner with someone and some girl walks past the table and he and you notice him look at her, but nobody's ever cheated on you, you might say, Yeah, she kind of did have a nice butt, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But if you've been cheated on four or five times and he looks at her, whoa, you're you're a cheater, you're gonna be a liar, you're you're gonna project that. And and he was just noticing another human being. It doesn't mean he is going to cheat, right? But you're going to project that. Right. Because that past is alive in you, right? So no judgment about this stuff. This is just 
the stuff of what it means to be human. Yep. But it does stand in the way of making healthy connections. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And then I know you're currently in Chicago, but you've yeah. lived a bunch of places in the country. So as yeah, so as you've worked with different people through helping them with, um, as a relationship coach, like have you noticed any differences and things that people are struggling with in different areas of the country, or has it been kind of more dependent on family? Like, what what's your take on that? I, I would answer that in two ways. It's like think about running a triathlon in Hawaii and a triathlon in New York, different places. Yep it's still most important that you're in shape. Like it doesn't really matter where this race is. It really matters if you're in shape for it. Yeah. Okay. So you being the healthiest, letting go of your past, all these things we've been, your personas, that transcends wherever you are. Now, do I notice some differences? Yeah. I mean, I could, I could almost say that there are parts of the country that are in general, more conservative in certain parts that are more liberal or woke. And so there's, there may be certain ways of relating and certain ways of dating and connecting that might work in New York or California, but not maybe it's different in Oklahoma yeah. or Alabama, right? So they're just because the people, I don't, I don't mean like one's good or bad or right or, or left or right. It's yeah. just, there's a different flavor. And so maybe that only impacts people when they're traveling around the country and they're going different places and they might meet someone that maybe the way you might approach a person and pursue a first or second date in one part of the country, you might have to do it a little differently in a different part of the country. Mm -hmm. Or if you're online and you've got this big wide range where you're open to anybody in any state, which I don't recommend because I don't know how you, the long distance thing can be really weird. Yeah. But if you're from a certain part of the country and that's kind of where your dating pool is, I think you sort of understand your culture. I, I think you've been, you know, not if you move someplace then you might say, oh, what, you know, in some parts of the country, you could be much more upfront, much more aggressive, much more, this is who I am. This is what I want. What are you looking for? In other parts of the country, you might have to do more courtship, more, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I think wherever you are, you sort of get the flavor. If you change locations, you might pick up that there's a little bit of difference, but I'm sort of making that up in my head. In a sense, I've lived in Chicago, St. Louis, Louisiana, and Florida you know, at least each for seven or eight years. And they are different. But I've been a coach for 15 years. And I'm telling you, if your past is alive in you, if you've got relationship personas, and in my book, I talk about seven muscles. I just talked about one of them, yeah. your past. Yeah. You have a relationship to your emotions, to that voice in your head, to your inner truth, how you communicate, right? There's all these other things that if that stuff, if you're growing in mindfulness, growing in consciousness in those areas, I think you can be successful no matter where you are. No, that makes a lot of sense because like to your point, like I was living in Philly and then I moved to Los Angeles and like the dating culture itself is definitely different. Just like the city's bigger, there's yeah. traffic, but sure. I can see how like at the end of the day though, if you haven't figured out those your inner workings of things you, that you need to change where regardless of where you are, it doesn't really matter. Right. If you're from a small town in Alabama, 
and you meet someone, you might be more patient with a relationship and give it more time and space to see where it goes. But if you're on LA and there's 100 million people all around you, maybe, and this maybe not a good thing, but maybe at the first sign of an issue, oh, done with that person because there's so many other choices. Yeah, that does. <laughs> now, that might be shooting yourself in the foot, but I could see that mentality when there's so much availability versus you're in a small town. That that might change, uh, but even so, if you're not good at communicating and handling conflict, and if your masculine feminine thing is an issue, if you have that relationship persona thing, man, you can go any place in the country and you're going to mess it up. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're going to bring your right. You know, if you've got baggage, you're going to bring it no matter what part of the country you live in, right? Yeah. So that's the only thing is I think what you're talking about is valid. But I would just want people to focus on this stuff more than putting too much emphasis on I live in a certain place and it makes it harder or easier or how do I do it here to focus more on your own internal growth as a person. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Yeah, because like you said, unless until you have that first, regardless of where you are, you're going to run into the same issues. And then like right. you just said, in LA, if someone spots that, they'll probably be out of there sooner than maybe somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. And 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 um that could be a real mistake. Yeah. You might have walked away from an amazing person because you made too quick of a judgment that you maybe didn't stop to ask about it. You just assumed, well they did that, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have any idea if you would have asked them, you would have found out why and then maybe it could have been rectified and was like, "Oh, you know, because our mind really, that's one of the muscles. Our mind, when we don't know something, your mind is going to come up with something to fill the empty space. Yeah. That's how the mind works. It's a survival mechanism. We don't know it feels scary. So your mind is going to make up something to explain it. Mm -hmm. But it's making it up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really know if, if what your mind is telling you is true. So in my book, I talk about firing your inner relationship coach. Like fire that voice in your head because it's wrong all the time. Yeah. If you pay attention, you hear things, you see things, and you make judgments, and then you find out, oh, I thought my friend was mad at me. They're not mad at me. They they got a, an argument with their mother and they were in a bad mood. And so I just interpret it to mean that they were upset at me and they weren't. So our minds, we don't treat our minds like we would treat like a financial planner. Mm -hmm. If I keep giving you stock tips and you should buy, and they all tank and they all tank, you'll stop listening to me. But our minds keep telling us, giving us relationship advice and what things mean and why they said that. And they're, you're wrong all the time, but you don't fire that voice in your head. You keep listening to it. Yeah. Right. So your relationship with your own mind is everything. Here's the way I describe this if you went to the gym to hire a personal trainer, any good trainer, the first thing they're going to do, because they know what your goal is, you know, say so you want to get in shape, you want to lose a certain amount of pounds, you want to get fit. Okay, they know what the goal is. But a good trainer is going to run you through a bunch of assessments to see where you are now, because they know where you want to go. But if they know where, what they're starting with, then they can put a plan or a program together to get you to where you want to go. Yeah. Well, why don't we do that in our love lives? So I'm a relationship trainer, I could say. Yeah. I know what you want, right? You want a healthy, sustainable, co-creative, mutually beneficial relationship with another human being. You, you know, I know what you want. Where are you starting from? What's your current relationship fitness level? Because I maintain that you can only have that 
great relationship if you're in great relationship shape. So I need to find out what I'm starting with. And once I know that, oh, now I can put a program together to get you in shape. Yeah. Follow me? Yeah. So what I do as a coach is I do an assessment and I, I offer that to the listeners right now for free. Okay. On my website is something called the Relationship Fitness Self-Assessment Test. It's a 30-question true-false test, taking about three, four minutes to take. It's completely confidential. Even I don't see the results. Okay? Only you get your results. I just get notified that someone took the test. Okay, But I don't see the results. It's all confidential. And you get your results immediately. And it's going to put you in five fitness categories. You can't see me using quotation marks because <laughs> we're audio. Yeah. Right? But you're going to be either relationally ripped. Okay, And I can tell you right now, nobody's ever scored ripped. That's like the level of Jesus or Buddha or someone. Okay, <laughs> that means you're perfectly enlightened being. Okay, so you're either ripped or you're skinny fat, or you're unhealthy. Uh, no, you're overweight, unhealthy, or you're in the bottom category. And I took my own test, even though I wrote it, but I took it from the perspective I had before I hired a coach, and I scored in the lowest category, the dangerously out of shape which made sense. I had been through a divorce. I'd been dumped by a fiance. I'd done a lot of online stuff that was filled with drama and crazy. So yeah, the test is accurate. It put me in the lowest category, right? And so I tell people, don't be surprised if you take this test, if it shows you, you got some growing to do. Yeah. That you're maybe not in great relationship shape. I think if you were in great relationship shape, you wouldn't be listening to us because you'd be in this relationship and maybe listening to a podcast about something else, <laughs> you know, what to do with all the happiness you have in your life, you know? So don't be surprised if you find that you need to get in better shape. But I want to encourage you. My website is coachingwithroy.com. Pretty easy to remember, coachingwithroy.com. My phone number is on the, the homepage. My, my cell phone number actually is on the homepage of the website. And right there is that relationship fitness self-assessment test. You can't miss it. So take that, see where you are now, and then maybe you call me up and you say, hey, Roy, can you put a program together for me? Can you get me in better shape? Because now I don't want to have another disappointing relationship. I don't want to have that pattern repeat itself again. You know, I want to I attract something meaningful and healthy that will last. Can you, can you help me get in shape to do that? Well, hell yes, I can. <laughs> okay. Definitely go check out, out his website for everyone with. that's listening. Maybe you are in great shape. Yeah. Thanks for coming me. on. I definitely, I, I learned a lot myself. I feel like you were talking and I was like, Ooh, use... this is resonating well. So I yeah. hope everyone listening did as well. Well, it'd yeah. be totally okay if you called me on the side and said, hey, Roy, maybe we could, uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe we could do something here together. Yeah. So I'd be open for that. Yeah. And for anybody else listening, right? I mean, and I offer a free consultation, so there's no pressure. Just call me up talk about my program, see if we connect. And I don't need to pressure people. So there's, there's, no, there's no obligation. There's none of that. Let's just talk and see if I can help you attract lasting love. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Oh, and by the way, I have my own podcast. Did I mention that? Oh, not yet. No. Yeah. It's called, it's, it's, it's named after my second book, the Attracting Lasting Love Podcast. And you can find it on wherever, Apple, Spotify, you name it, it's on it. So oh, thanks for letting me plug that. It's cool. Of course. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on, Roy. Well, thanks for having me, Ashley. Of course. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye.
everyone that's helped make this podcast possible, specifically Kayla McNulty that helped create the podcast, Ray Zaragoza, The Kid Inside, Allie Bernstein, Maggie DeBerardine, and Lindsay Weiner that all help contribute in some sort of way. You can find us on Instagram at swipe, swipe West. Send us a DM with any questions, comments, suggestions. Thank you all again for listening. Have a great rest of your week.